Turning points change the course of our lives. Whether it's a big decision, overcoming an obstacle or tragedy, or taking a leap of faith, these stories of inspiration and resilience are what Turning Point is all about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Turning Point. I'm your host, Priya Sam, and this week we have Ayomede Bioa as our guest. Ayomede is an award-winning poet. His turning point came early in his life when he fell in love with poetry in his home country of Nigeria. Ayomede moved to Canada in 2016, and he was recently named Mississauga's Poet Laureate. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's great to have you. Um, so, you know what, let's get right to your turning point. How did you become interested in poetry? Um, I started getting interested in poetry and from high school. And then we just read poetry to, you know, to do exams academically, right? And the West African Examination Council exams. And then I took it seriously a little bit when I got to university, when I met my friends that actually poet. And I see how they thrive in poetry, the way they use the languages and all. Like, these guys are really good. So kind of guys just put me through and how to get better. And, you know, they give me books, I read books, bunch of books, try to, you know, practice. And then I just got my first eat when I wrote a poem um, from scaffolding. You know, I scaffolded some literary devices and then submitted a poem and then it became an eat. And then that way it worked. So was that the first time you ever like performed a poem or was it just something you wrote? I actually wrote the poem and, you know, in order to win the prize, you have to perform the poem. So then I, okay, that was around the time I actually met this friend of mine that was dedicated to help me. Never knew how to do spoken word poetry. So the first time I taught as a theater artist, we could do spoken word poetry by performing and I have my friends in the background performing. So then this very guy of mine, his name is called Pojo. And it was one that assisted me then, but now he's dead. So that's the sentiment behind my first start. So I just get to like, anytime I remember how I started, I have to remember it because he helped me then. And now here I am and he doesn't have to experience this day. So really bad. Yeah. Wow. So do you feel like a lot of the work you're doing now is still inspired by, by your friend? Um, well, it comes up most of the time when I try, when I win an award, actually, not even when I write poetry. When I win an award and I just get to remember him, how I started then. But I actually wrote my uh, first chapbook in dedication to him. So I'm actually going to do a lot more in dedication to him. So, but I remember him almost all the time. I win an award. I always think it's interesting when um, someone becomes so connected to a specific art form um, and kind of just how it happens. You know, for some people, it's it's writing long stories and for some people, it's painting. But for poetry to have spoken to you um, at a young age, I just, I think it's so fascinating. And so do you think a lot of it was because of the emotion that was shared through poetry or was it like the conversations that happened? Like, what was it about poetry specifically? I mean, for my start, I started as, um, I was trying to challenge myself, actually, the way I started. I see my guys in the, in the, like, in the field. They're actually good. I try to challenge them, but they don't know I'm trying to challenge them. I'm trying to tell you I can do better. And then they themselves put me through to challenge them. You know, that kind of life we live in Nigeria, we are ready to support ourselves. We don't get jealous of we trying to get better. You know, we help ourselves. And that way, I challenge them and then, 
One of them actually was top 100 in um, the Poets in Nigeria Poetry Contest. Um, that's, it's called um, Nigerian Student Poetry Contest. And I became top 20 in the next edition. And that way I told him like, bro, you see, I got better. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, yeah, you can do better. And since then I just keep putting my works in. That's neat. So it's a little bit competitive, but also in a supportive way. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about some of your, you mentioned your friend and then it sounds like you've had a lot of mentors um, along the way. I mean, I won't call them mentors. Yeah. But majority of them are just my friends. Mostly more like peers. Yeah, peers. And did you find this group of friends um, who were all interested in poetry in school or how did you all connect? So the first person was on campus. Yeah. And it was like a year I had me. His name is Adio. We call him Adio. And the other one is Shegu Michael. Both of them are actually super good. Like those guys, when I read them, I just imagine whatever they've written. Like I don't understand. Okay, I didn't understand them, but now given how much I've grown, you know, into like being a poet myself, then now they, they don't understand me now. <laughs> it's like way around. They don't understand what I'm writing now. They complain all the time. I don't understand what you've written yet. Um, bro, you don't worry. That was how you started. <laughs> and that was how it is now. Um, yeah, well, that's how it is. What inspires your poetry? What topics do you like to write about? Um, I write about intersectionality, um, different faces of oppression. Uh, I write about migration, asylum. I write about, you know, inaccessible traumas that happen after migration and accessible traumas. I write about um, the homeland where I come from. I write about being over the seas. And I write about forgetting. I write about remembrance. I write about, I actually write about celebration for life and death, both of them. And basically, um, something I know that occurs in all my poem is actually connecting my experiences with my grammar, with everything I write. Because like this very poem I wrote for Just Chadri, um, I just actually changed the, like the person, but it's about my grammar because she, every, every, every story I ever heard as a child was from her. So she has this good um, storytelling habit, the way she tells it. And then from there, I just get to reflect on how she tells the stories and I put them into how I tell my story and see how they grow. Wow. It sounds like she's had a big influence on your life. A very big influence. What was she like? Very kind and very interesting to talk with. Very, very interesting to talk with. She accepts everyone, you know, like an African woman. She cooks for everyone that comes around. She's ready to, and the funniest thing there, whenever she gets some money, she gives me the very money. So she doesn't, she doesn't have anything to do with the money at a point. So just um, take it. And unfortunately, she's not even alive to see me become a big point now. Well, I'm sure she would be very proud of, very, very proud of what of you've done. Yeah. And how you've honored her memory. Um, what brought you to Canada? Uh, my father. He came here um, some years ago and he had this very big plan of bringing his children over to Canada. And that's me here. You know, moving to a new country often comes with a lot of challenges. I've done it before too. So what are some of the challenges you faced coming to a new country and also being a poet? Okay, way too much. Uh, actually, especially Canada, it was actually difficult. Okay, let's start with um, 
the basic ones, transportation, you know, communication, language barrier, not really language barrier, you know, English is the lingua franca, but, you know, the accent, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot, but I can't remember a lot, but let's just put it communication, transportation, and then trying to connect with the people back home. That was the thing too, because no, you just left these people and you still have a fresh memory of how it is with them. You know, try to assure them that someday I'm going to come back. You guys just don't worry about that. And it was like a lie because no one, especially my ex-girlfriend, <laughs> she broke up immediately and she was like, nah, you're not going to come back. I'm not going to come back to you. She never believed them. You know, that's just the end of our story there. And, you know, these things, it's just like, it just brought me straight to the library. Actually, when I came here, I started going to the library like two weeks after. And then I started reading Raymond Sostak. I fell in love with his poetry. He actually influenced my first chapbook. Wow. So you went to the library when you got here. You started kind of immersing yourself in... Straight up. Yeah. Straight up. And then where did you do a lot of your writing? Were you Was this mostly in school or...? Um, at first, I was working in the factory and I did most of my writing during my break time on my phone. And then after the factory, I go to the um, to the coffee shop, Tim Martins. So that was where I completed my whole chapbook in the Tim coffee shop. I mean, a lot of great things happen at Tim Hortons. So yeah. there you go. It's very Canadian of you. <laughs> yeah, very Canadian of me. Um, tell me more about how poetry has shaped who you are today. Um, I'll start with how I actually deal with life generally. I don't take life too hard anymore, like compared to how I was in Nigeria. And um, given how I express myself too, because as a poet, if you try to express yourself, you over talk, like you oversee things, you know, there's overstatement, there's understatement, right, in poetry. And trying to balance everything is like, you need expertise. So for a poet that is actually expert in all these things, how I express myself has changed. How I talk to people, how I respond to people, how I respond to critiques, how I respond to like racism sometimes. The poetry has actually like shaped everything. Fanshawe College's continuing education programs are one reason the college is a leader in part-time adult education. These programs are designed to upgrade your skills and enhance your career. All of the courses are part-time and most are delivered asynchronously online. Whether you're an entrepreneur looking to gain a new skill, someone getting ready to re-enter the workforce, or a professional looking to learn something completely new, Fanshawe really has something for everyone. Registration for winter courses is now open. There's so much emotion in a lot of your poetry, so it sounds like you're able to channel a lot of your real-life experiences into your poetry. You're, I mentioned in the introduction you're the Poet Laureate in Mississauga. Um, how did that? How did you become the Poet Laureate? Um, by trying and by not giving up, like, sleepless nights. And, um, yeah, uh, the first time I actually applied for being a poet laureate was um, the youth poet laureate of Mississauga. And then I I realized actually I didn't deserve the post then, even though I was even given because I wasn't ready. I just tried it like, okay, let me just put in this application and see what happens. And then I wasn't chosen and I wasn't even feeling that bad, but God actually wanted me for something bigger, to be the actual mentor to the youth poet laureate. So imagine me, I was chosen then, I would actually have this post today. 
So the very girl that was chosen then, I'm a mentor to her right now. And that makes me feel really obligated. Like I need to get better now at this point, you know. It sounds like it's been really motivating for you to get that position. Um, a lot of people don't know what it means to be a poet laureate. So tell me about the role. What do you get to do? So um, I would actually connect this to um, John Dryden. Um, that's like um, the medieval poet then. It was like one of the poet laureates I actually read about. And the way he writes, he writes in, in honor of like the city rulers, um, occasions that happen to write about them, to write about love and everything. And in my own stance, like aside from the way the city defines the post, and I would say the poet laureate actually has to channel his own pathway of being a poet, a poet laureate, and share with like other poets in the city and see if there's anyone like him out there that could actually follow the pathway or find another way from that pathway. So all I'm saying is that like, the way I started writing poetry, I started like in the artist way, like I started submitting to contests and getting rejection every single time. And the reason why I realized that the reason there is, I never obeyed some instructions. I didn't deserve some publications. So some poets out there don't understand that they're not doing some things right. So this way, I could tell you that this is a way we can do it. We show them new uh, ways of doing things, work out workshops, um, try to write with them. And, you know, there's something about um, connecting other poets with professionals. So you need validation as a poet, right? So you need someone to tell you that you are doing the right thing. So then I connect you to other professionals I know, and then we all work together. And that way we can promote poetry in our Mississippi. That's so interesting that it's, it's, so it sounds like you can really make the role what you want it to be. Exactly. Shortly after you became the Poet Laureate, you read a poem in council chambers about Ejaz Chowdhury. Um, this is a man who was killed by Peel police after his family called for help uh, when he was having a mental health crisis. How did his death impact you? I mean, his death triggered the death of my grandma in me. And no one killed my grandma, actually. She died of diabetes. And um, I just feared that what if my grandma had come to this country with me and she had that same scenario and I had to call, or maybe one of my siblings had to call the police. Well, that same thing happened. What would I have done? You know, I put myself in that position and write everything. Or do I change it and put um, in the poem I wrote about my grandfather, something, something, something. But... It's actually trying to balance my own perspective of things I've experienced, the things I fear. And, um, and it just started actually lived, um, some streets down my street in Mississauga. And I was out that day when I had a gunshot, but I, I didn't realize it was like something that serious, you know. Then later you see the video and you're like, so something like this happened. And that's how some people die. You don't even realize. That's how a lot of people don't know what's going on. Just happens in a blink of an eye and then. They're gone. And no one is to be punished for that. You know, how can we use force for something that needs careful consideration? Like, you know, this is mental health we're talking about. Then use force for that. We are using force for force, not force for like a care matter. Something that we realize that you guys are being, you are the actual people disabling these people called disabled people, you know. And I just try to write about that. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, these are obviously not easy topics to write about, to talk about. So how, I mean, I I am sure a lot of people would also say that it's very brave that you wrote this poem and that you presented it in, to the council, in front of city right? council. I know, right? <laughs> I, I also thought about that. I was like, okay, they asked me what poem did I want to read. And I said, this is the poem I want to read. And I was expecting them to tell me this can go. I was expecting. And they didn't say anything. They just let me read. And I expressed myself. And I, they welcomed me. And, and they took it away. And I was like, okay, no problem. And that's how it should be. I how mean, it you should sh- be, right? Yeah, but it isn't always like that. It isn't, I know. And this is why I want to tell the poets out there that don't be scared. Or do like, uh, there are some grounds like require like careful consideration before you actually put your poems out there. But like in this kind of scenario, like you need to speak up because the one is going to speak up for the family at this point because the, the community tried all they could. They protested, they did everything and the cops are still there. They don't want to release their identity. They don't want to um, tell them, or they don't want, actually want to convict these cops. And we understand you're doing your jobs, right? But you've done something wrong. I'm sure some of these cops like, are going to have this cute. Although you're doing your job, but you've done something wrong. And why don't you just do, let justice prevail, you know? But, you know, it's just what it is. You're giving me, and I'm sure the people listening and watching this, a lot to think about when it comes to the power of, of spoken word and the power of, of poetry. Um, because it really does have the ability to have an impact on, on social issues, on the conversations that we're having. And you in the position that you're in are able to have this platform. So what else do you hope to accomplish with this role? Um, although I'll, let's start with the selfish interest. Like I'll try to, I actually want to be a winner of several prizes. Like I have my eyes on like, let's start with the governor general literature prize and um, start with CBC prizes, Pulitzer award, and the very optimal one, which is Nobel laureate. So I just tell myself, this is a step closer to being a Nobel laureate because the difference is just the word poet and noble. Noble occupies everything like the old fiction, um, nonfiction, drama, everything shows how versatile you are with poetry and um, with literature. And this is a step closer. And I hope I get those ones first. And other one, I want to actually have more of me out there in Mississauga because I'm sure like other poets in a way or, or, or the other, other poets out there like, like me in the sense that most of them don't talk and they get silenced easily and they just give up. But, you know, I've always been like that for like some years now. And like, I give up easily at some point, but now that I see that there are ways you can actually let these people listen to you. Now I want to like show them this ways, you know, and I hope I could achieve that and have a lot of me out there. I think that you will have a lot of success. You've already proven that you're able to, you know, take some of these tough topics. You're not afraid to talk about them. I think that's already really inspiring. And I mean, all of this started from this interest that kind of started growing in high school and continued to blossom. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Did you ever think that you would have a career in poetry as you kind of look back at those early days? 
uh, high school, I would never imagine. Like even my teacher, um, um, Mr. K would, wouldn't have imagined. No one would have imagined actually, but I realized there was something about me in university, especially when I started, um, with my first poem. I realized there was something about me. I realized there's a place I'm going, although I don't know how big it's going to be or how small it's going to be, but I knew that with this poetry thing, it was like a way for me. And I took it seriously and I started writing, although I had way too much rejections, but you know, I wish I just, I wish I just didn't give up from the start because I could have gone way farther than this. It sounds like you didn't give up though. Here you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, I know. And those, I mean, those early, I, I think a lot of us look back on our early days of our career and there are always those people who, who don't believe in you, right? Um, but it sounds like you're finding a lot of people who do at this stage. Yeah. And I'm proud of myself and my family for bringing me up here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we're so grateful to obviously to have you here as well. Um, thank you for sharing your turning point. I look forward to following your journey. And before we say goodbye, you're actually going to read the poem that you read uh, in Mississauga City Council dedicated to Edges Chowdhury. All right. Falling walls may floating portions for Edges Chowdhury. Somehow window fractures with an open-ended pestilence of kamikaze flies settling on black blood fresh from Kawasaki. Of that life which matters, traveling back from offering itself to the firmament, to relieve a placard reason for reincarnation. Of Regis, a Toronto hybrid ladybird, somersaulting a balcony, deck neck, causing a degauze effect, homely like a toddler's innocence, when sharing a carelessly placed piece of magnet with its household intolerant LCD TV screen. Or diasporic, like the arrival of immigrants ready to stay as color works of obsessed dreams. My grandpa's neck beard is ostrich scars. His bruise, red as a plague pool, fresh from an out bedroom fall, is the foremost warning to the odors of his body. It dries up at every glance. His color bones melt his breathing. And his herbs, are goals of slow blindness. However, responsibility recycles. In the room of the living, I am coffee ready. To add his whiteness jumbo, salt or sugar, he can't pick two words at a time. Not even his favorite fruits, lemon or Lebanon, from a browser tray. I school is daily Montessori. These are no pills. Repeat after me. They are not felons on the run in my truth. Before shutting out everywhere, everything, including the convenience store, he gambles in his head. 91.1 the correct decimal place of Canada's Jazz FM. And no one is listening. And this is how humans feel or suspect a God is using them without consent. Witnessing armed spiders Crawling a high-rise building for gun points, mental checks and balances, a piece of bloody music that catches my grandpa's reflexes, where it's instrumental could see them. Clearly, apart from his refining panic pause. Front page, bulletin columns. A flower vase shrews the street because Francis can't tell the roots of the fire that deforested horribly at Moses if dropping Sanders. Following page. As always, 
the world remains a snookerboard with Zuma Max emitting nuclear balls. Summer window welcomes goal appearances of a morning on a morning star, start, morning star sunset and of teens pictorial under the orange save light. On red fine print Father's Day letters lit on my heart. And you're not alone. Connecting doors freak me out. But as Grandpa once said, until you start creasing into linings of goatee wrinkles, as yards Halloween emblem, into something so spooky, but cool as hell. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ayamede. That was so powerful. And I think we can all see why you're the Poet Laureate for Mississauga. And we look forward to following your career ahead as well. Uh, thank you so much to all of you for watching and listening today. Uh, if you like today's episode, leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. You can subscribe to us, of course, on YouTube, on any podcast platform. And we hope that if you have a Turning Point story, you'll share it with us too. You can email us at turningpoint at priasam.com. Until next time, take good care of yourselves and of each other.